This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. This week, we're going to do things a little bit different. We're going to have three guests on the show for three short conversations. They are Vish Narendra, Joe Mariquin, and Elizabeth Homaki. They're all C-suite technology executives, and we're going to have a discussion around displaced workers, cyber threats, and employees caught in the current Russian-Ukrainian conflict. It's an interesting, sometimes heartbreaking, but always compelling conversation. Please enjoy them, all three of them, on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on Earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Three, two, one. Vish, welcome to the QTS Experience. Hey, thank you. So excited to be here. What a day. It's a phenomenal day, yes. This is what uh, spring is like in Atlanta. and. Uh, <laughs> This is what has kept me here for 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. And um, remind our audience what it is that you do here. Um, I'm a CIO and uh, SVP for Global Business Services at Graphic Packaging International. We're a uh, paper packaging manufacturer and uh, we're in your refrigerator, your pantry, wow. your freezer. Uh, we're an everyday part of your life. We package anything and everything that you consume. So if you're, as a CIO, one of my favorite groups to talk to, um, CTOs kind of have the fun job, I think, because they get to make products that face the world and how can we do that? And CIOs are almost kind of like MPs in the army. They have to tell the organization, this is what we can do safely and securely and make all those things work on the back end. Um, how in the world of packaging post pandemic talent challenges, what's going on in your world and what is it that you're thinking about? And share that wisdom in 15 minutes. Sure. Uh, well, you know, I don't need that much time because I don't have that much wisdom. But uh, so, you know, like a lot of companies, uh, we were uh, already in the middle of a big digital transformation. Sure. Uh, the pandemic really just accelerated that. Um, and, uh, you know, we were not unique in that respect. Right. Everybody was doing the same thing. We sent everybody home. Uh, so we had to keep the company secure. We were doing all of that. Um, and. Coming out of the pandemic, you know, we're a growth company. We're, we've grown, you know, I joined the company seven years ago. Right. We're roughly $4 billion in revenue. We'll right. be about $9 billion in revenue this year uh, and we'll continue to grow. And uh, a growth company invests for growth. Right. And so we're investing heavily in our transformation and how we operate as a company. Right. And uh, in order to do that, you need technology, of course, right. but you really need people. Right. And uh, that's become the uh, seminal challenge of our lifetime in yeah. some ways because uh, there's a shortage. Right. Um, we as a country uh, don't have enough people to staff all these um, opportunities that we have in right. front of us. Um, and so it's been a big focus area. I spend 30, 40% of my time hunting for talent personally, wow. uh, reaching out to contacts, uh, talking to people and trying to figure out who would be interested in coming and joining our growth story. Right. Now, is it that there just aren't enough people in the Rolodex or is it that people are happy where they're at or is that there just aren't people trained or they're um, people that don't have the ability to do what you want to do? What What do you think the right... Well, you know, yeah, everybody's heard the great resignation, you know, so people are moving, they're willing to take a, a chance and go someplace else and try something new. Yeah. Uh, that's not necessarily the problem. We have a lot of open jobs in technology that are just not being filled. Right. And that's primarily because we just don't have enough skilled workers 
with the knowledge, the experience, and the expertise in the technology fields. Right. And, uh, you know, you take just cybersecurity, I saw some projection uh, that said, you know, in, in two years, we, we will have 800,000 cybersecurity jobs that will go unfilled because we just don't have the people for it. Mm-hmm. So there's a talent shortage, but at the same time, we have a lot of people that technology is actually displacing. Mm. And so you've got a workforce that is being pushed out, you know, of their jobs because of automation. Mm -hmm. And you've got a skills gap and, you know, there's that mismatch. And and one of the things that I think about a lot is how do we put those two two groups together? Mm -hmm. How do we upskill, reskill, train people? Um, and, you know, the, the ramp is going to be a little slower than somebody that has 10 years of experience sure. or has a four-year college degree. But right. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just simply putting them in boot camps and reskilling them and, and putting them in jobs and having the patience to let them develop a little bit on the job. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we're just not doing enough of that. There's pockets of it happening, mm-hmm. but we're just not doing enough of that as a, as a, as a country mm-hmm. as a whole. How so? I want to get to the larger in a second, but on, at the micro level, how would an organization like yours do it? How do you evaluate somebody that you know to determine their potential so that you can invest in them to get there? And let me give you just an example. When my dad came out of the Air Force in the late fifties, early sixties, I remember him telling me this story. IBM was hiring. He was in electronics tech, but he had no college. IBM would not hire anybody that did not have college. But they, similar thing, they desperately needed people in this new world of computers. And they essentially put him through a four-year program in a year. Mm-hmm. Every week you could flunk out, but you you were in that program for a year. He successfully completed it. Um, I wish he had kept his house in San Jose and Santa Clara because 50 years later, that would have been worth a lot of money. Yeah. But um, off he went. He got introduced into the program. There were a group of people. That IBM stopped doing that after about five years because they closed the gap. But they, they essentially did that. So did Rockwell, yep. you know, et cetera. Is your organization doing something like that? And, and whether it's you specifically in the micro, at the macro, how is your industry or just tech um, they're lamenting about the problem, but how are they embracing solving it? Yeah, yeah I'll start with what we're trying to do uh, at our organization, and then we'll talk a little bit about the industry as a whole. Um, you, you know, Atlanta has a pretty strong um, technology community that comes together. We're here at this ATP event. Right. You, you walk outside, it's the who's who of technology in Atlanta. Right. Um, they're all committed to several causes, Inspired EDU being one of them, and uh, Inspired EDU does phenomenal work um, putting uh, technology in the hands of school children right. and, and getting them ready for a world of technology right. and uh, giving them the opportunities uh, that they need. Um, but there are other organizations. And so we've partnered with a few of them to try and bring people in that don't necessarily have a full four-year college degree or five years of experience, mm-hmm. uh, but have gone through some level of training, some boot camp, and, and we give them a little bit extra time to bake. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've done, for example, interns through Europe. Mm. Uh, great program, brings people in, gives them college credits along the way, gives them work uh, experience and opportunities. Um, we've partnered with TechBridge, which is another nonprofit uh, that is Atlanta-based but does national work. They have a technology career program. We've actually hired graduates out of their 16-week boot camp. Um, Women in Technology has a phenomenal single mother's 
cybersecurity training program. Again, it's a boot camp type of mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, you know program that is partnered with Emory. It's an Emory certification. You come out and you get a you know a partnership with industry. You get jobs at mm-hmm. companies like Macy's and and Equifax and and uh, jo- you know Georgia Georgia Power or Southern mm-hmm. Company. So um, there's work that is going on. You know we're doing the same kind of things, trying to bring. I'll, I'll tell, give you a, a classic example. There's a lady we pulled in. She was Salesforce certified. She was an admin coming out of one of these boot camps. Um, she was doing some work on the Salesforce side for us. We then split her time 20 hours on Salesforce, 20 hours on cybersecurity. And uh, our CISO then came in and said, can I have her full time? So we mm-hmm. shifted her. She was still a contractor. Right. She then became 40 hours full time on cybersecurity. Three months later, he came in and said, can we hire her? Mm-hmm. And we hired her full time, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a person that really didn't have a skills gap. They just had an opportunity gap. But once given the opportunity, bridge the skills gap pretty quickly. And, and, you know, is still part of our team and is doing some phenomenal work. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Uh, Everybody is trying to poach people from other other companies. That's fishing in the same pond. You know, let's go to a different pond and fish for something else. Uh, And uh, so I think we need to do a lot more of that as Mm -hmm. an industry. And uh, that's the part where I think that we could have a collective voice, um, either through the Technology Association of Georgia or somebody else that could then do some policy and advocacy work that that uh, forces the government to think about, you know, a, a GI Bill kind of thing in Georgia that would provide, you know, a little bit of credits for students, uh, some some uh, funding and scholarships for them to go through these boot camps and then give them a stipend to get them into the workforce so companies can absorb them and give them the opportunity to develop some skills and then become productive in in their work. And I think that's the next step that we need to take um, because if we do it in these small pockets, it's 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 important. Right. We can get a few hundred people through the system, but right. how do we get tens of thousands a of people through? Change. Yes, a systemic change that really upskills everybody. Right. That's the next step that we need to take. No, I love that idea. I, it might have been articulated before. I've never really thought about it, but I'm just imagining, to your point of the GI Bill, these guys coming back and gals coming back from World War II and in other instances in our history where, you know, when all the people got pushed off of the farm and into the factory, they had to skill them up quickly, which is why our university system, for good or ill, changed. Yeah, so I could get those workers. And then as they get pushed out, um, of those jobs as those get changed, or we have gaps to your point, whether it's around security or any other of these technical things, what you're really looking for people that have a work ethic and know how to solve problems and puzzles and work well together. I, I love that idea. If folks wanted to learn more about you or about some of these big ideas or some of these organizations, where would you direct them to? Well, you know, um, you can find me on LinkedIn, of course, uh, TechBridge, uh, TechBridge.org, MyWIT.org, that's Women in Technology, uh, Year Up, uh, Inspired EDU, just some amazing organizations in the community uh, that are are focused on this problem. Uh, One last thing I just want to mention, if you think about it, if you go back to the the, uh, Industrial Revolution, Mm -hmm. uh, people were coming off the farms they had factories to shift into because farming was getting mechanized. They had factories that they could go do work on. When the industrial uh, automation era happened Mm -hmm. and those people were getting displaced, the colleges helped the transition into the service economy. 
we're not going from the service economy into the software, data, and technology economy. Right. And we don't have a clear on-ramp to that, right? right? Just like the factories and the colleges provided the on-ramp for these transitions, we need a clear on-ramp for this transition that the economy faces. We're actually at a crisis point in this country in some ways. Our competitive uh, you know, uh, capabilities is actually under, under uh, fire right now, right. right? China, India, a lot of these other places are skilling their people. China, you know, India and China churn out, you know, hundreds of thousands of engineers every year, right? right? Um, now, I'm not saying that that's what we need to do. We right. don't need, not everybody needs to go to a four-year college, right. but what are we doing as a collective to think about this problem so we can have the right uh, skill sets to power the economy for the next 50 years? Right. That's where we are. I agree, and I just had Martin Ford on the other day, and one of the things that came out of that conversation was changes happening so fast. You know, there's this, even economists, he believes have a, a misunderstanding. He was uh, having a conversation with the presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, and they were suggesting some form of a thing called UBI, universal basic income, to supplement people while they, not as a, not as a uh, government aid or whatever, but how, to your point, how do I supplement people? And I don't know enough about it. I'm still kind of forming my thought around it, but how do I supplement them so that I can skill them up for the next thing? And the change is gonna happen so fast, we're gonna wake up one day because of um, how this is evolving and the people uh, that we compete with for global markets are going to have laid the infrastructure and the performance such that they're going to create a gap that it will be very difficult, if not impossible, for us in the next decades. So we owe it to ourselves and to our kids and our grandkids to take this seriously, skill people up in the right areas, whatever we got to do, do that investment so that we don't lose what we still have is a competitive advantage, but we're not investing to your point, I think, in the right way. At least that's his perspective. Technology can be a great equalizer. Yeah. We need to seize that opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Well, Vish, thanks for coming on the show today. Maybe we'll have you on uh, the program for a longer conversation. We'll make sure those links to those organizations are down below. Thanks for coming in. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. My great pleasure. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Like, share, subscribe, and comment. We'll see you next time on the QTS Experience. See you, everybody. Joe, welcome to the QTS Experience. It's great to be here. Well, this is going to be a short one because we got a shotgun shot, uh, shotgun start here happening in a few minutes. So sure. thanks for popping in. Hopefully, we'll get you in the studio soon for a, a fuller version of this. Absolutely. But why I've got you, I'm fascinated by two things. Um, you know, I don't envy you being a, a security officer in the age of t the current age we live in. But in particular, it seems like the world of media is changing spectacularly. Way more opportunity, oh. way more vulnerability. Can you take just a couple minutes and just give us a high level of some of the things you and your peers are working through in that area? Well, first of all, thanks thanks for having me. Thank, uh, it's really good to be here. I, I think that, um, uh, you know, so much has changed in our industry in the last 20 years. I mean, if you go, if, in all aspects of it, if you, go, if you go back 20 years ago, we still had like TV boxes. Yeah. You know, like big, they weren't flat screens, they yeah. were just boxes. Right. And uh, so everything around how we consume the media, how we store it, how we pay for it, right. how it gets produced, uh, there, there's like an age of empowerment, I think, that's going right. on. But there is broad scale transformation shifts, just very large disruptions within the industry. Right. It feels like this. there's disruptions upon disruptions. I mean, 20 years ago, 
I got my movies in the mail. Yes, Netflix. Right? Right? Netflix, Netflix. You know, streaming. What's that? You got them in the mail. I I legally make a backup of them, <clears throat> and but if 20 years ago I had said, hey, I'm going to get movies in the mail. They're like, you don't get movies at the mail. You get it at the store down the street at Blockbuster where they charge you a rewind fee and you buy your popcorn. Right. At 20 years before that, they're like, you go to the movie theater. You don't get your movies at the store. No. To the, like, it just feels like it's... It's, it's one, wave, one wave after the other. I, had, right. I remember being my parents' remote control. So that That's dates exactly. me a little bit. But, you know, televisions had knobs and they were yeah. black and white. Right. And, and then overnight, we went to plasmas and then we went to LEDs and now OLEDs. Right. And now we have streaming, right? And you know, it, it's just it, it's just crazy. In in the media industry, we used to have these things called equipment rooms, right. and they were filled with equipment that was just you know proprietary, mission specific for the media industry. Right now, they're just server rooms, right? Uh, so and protecting all of that right. is presents some significant challenges for right. us. So how but, do you? Um, out of curiosity, and the reason why I ask is look. Um, I've been around this business a long time. I know you have as well. I have, uh, at a consumer level, I am aware of malware and taking care of my systems. And it and you hear stories on occasion of, uh, you know, this this grocery chain got broke into and there was some hack and maybe data was leaked or something like that. But just this last year, we had famously the pipeline right. eruption, right? Oh, yes. Ransomware. Now, people in the industry have talked about mm -hmm. things, risks like this forever. Right. But now, because the pandemic has forced us into remote work, and people have embraced right. it, and they love it. Mm -hmm. So if I'm an executive, I'm remote as I'm trying to manage media, my media mm -hmm. empire. If I'm an employee or whatever. And so it introduces a lot of opportunity, but way more vulnerability, doesn't it? Right. I think that uh, from, from our side, what there's some pros and some cons to protecting these infrastructures. Right. The, the, the biggest pro is the IT industry has a head start on us. So sure. uh, we've been protecting corporate IT infrastructures for a long time. Right. I, it feels like the media industry, as it makes its transition from like IT, OT, there's this convergence going on to more standard technology, um, we kind of have a roadmap from how corporate IT has has protected their infrastructures. Right. We just have to deploy that. I think the challenge is more of a of a cultural, um, you know, how things were done before to mm. change it to how we need to do these, how do we need to protect these infrastructures today. Mm -hmm. uh, many times these infrastructures were very isolated mm -hmm. um, and now they're very open. They're in the cloud. Right. I mean, we're putting everything on the cloud and we have AI, we have machine learning, we have all these things kind of coming into into the space right. and we have to find a way of, you know, just adopting the lessons learned from other industries, bringing them in, bringing those best practices and kind of making a cultural transformation. I think right. that's, a, that's an important thing for us. Um, I'm curious, I mean, you've had to, in particular in the area of security, it feels like um, this is just a nonstop journey. I mean, it's been a journey from day one on how do we adapt to emerging threats, how do we persuade the organization that these restrictions are necessary? Um, how do you collaborate internally with your executives in other groups? Because security, uh, in a lot of ways, while necessary, it can interfere, they will see it as an interference with their production. Like, I'm trying to get my job done. That's exactly and right. And you're making me use a badge or turn a key or log into a, you know, do all these other things. How do you manage through that? I think uh, one of the nice things about the media industry mm -hmm. is that we have very intelligent people. 
So almost everybody that I work with has either some type of engineering or telco telco degree. I mean, okay. some of these people I work with are world class people. Right. Um, I mean, some of these guys have PhDs in electrical engineering, right. or you know, so they're very smart people, right. and they're also seeing what's going on in the industry. So I think when when they hear things that say such and such was hit with ransomware. Right. And I think what we're what we're seeing is we're seeing a progression from just some kid in the basement coding something that right. just gets out, see if it can propagate, right. to now we're seeing criminal syndicates and state actors right. coming after the critical infrastructures, you know, right. and, and media is a critical infrastructure. Right. So I think these people are seeing that. I think one of the big challenges that I have or my to-dos is to make sure that our teams are aware of the headaches that other people are experiencing. At these conferences, I think, you know, we're all circulating, so we're all sharing information. I, I think these, these types of, I'm glad we're kind of in a post-COVID world where we get, get to get together, we get to talk, we get to share information of saying, you know, such and such had a bad day. Right. They say, yeah, I, I, I lost customers, I lost time, I lost sleep, I lost equipment, I lost money. Right. And so if we make those stories, if we make those value propositions known to our teams, they're, like I said, they're really smart people. Right. Uh, very well educated, you know, technically savvy. Right. Uh, so they they get it, and 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 once they once they start moving forward, they say, I need to devote a little bit of time. I, and I say, I don't need a ton of your time. I just need a little bit of time for us to figure out how we're going to protect these infrastructures because they're no longer proprietary equipment that sits in some equipment room. Right. They're just servers, right. and a lot of times they're open to the internet because they have to receive content. Right. Where everything is going to like micro marketing. Right. So. Where it used to be that you used to get, you know, a national advertisement for a particular brand. Uh, now people want to sell very, very local advertising that says, "I want to know who you are and what you're buying, mm -hmm. and based on your profile and what you're seeing on your streaming service, I want to show you this particular stuff because I know you're going to buy this or you're about to buy this." Right. Um, so. We're having to, we can't monolithically create content and the advertising goes along with it. You have to micro-target to people. Right. It, ha it feels like, or sounds like what you're saying is, it has to be highly interconnected. Yes. Right? In, the, in this uh, real-time, live data, this back-end infrastructure. In order to do that, that means you have to be exposed to a certain degree. You have to accept a certain amount of risk. And, you know, true of all the telco world and a lot of the world was, I would have these proprietary systems which by themselves almost accidentally sort of inoculated you from a mass right. attack or problem. When you standardize, you get the great benefit of reduced cost, training, yes. inventory, um, all of these talent, people, you have a wide range of people now that can yeah. operate them, but you also say, well shoot, the whole world now knows how to attack that BIOS or yep. attack that That's right. know, whatever. And um, yeah, these were proprietary networks. Now everything runs on TCP/IP. Right. These were proprietary servers that ran proprietary technologies. Now they're just standard Windows servers or Linux servers, and so right. they're they're more open. So you have to protect them. And at the same time, uh, both both the customers, the consumers, and and the producers uh, want to change the want to change how things are delivered to to users. So you used to watch a golf game, the the model that it's going to is I have a favorite player. Right. I want to track that player throughout the entire, throughout the entire, you know, 18 right. holes or, you know, 72 or 96, right. however many you, you play over three or four days. Right. I just want to see my player. Right. And, you know, 
there are complexities that that's a lot of cameras that's a lot of microphones a lot in this you you're we're kind of we do yeah. this so right. to an extent you know technology fails right. and so you have to you have to go have backups for those right and then you have to consolidate all that information and you have to put it back up into the cloud and then people have to pick and stream and then the people who are advertising you either pay for via subscription right uh, or you have to marry the the specific advertising that really is tailored to me right. and what I like. What's, why I'm sort of smiling is, um, I know security officers don't like this, but what that sort of means is once upon a time we had a castle. Yes. We had a moat and we had a front door, we had guards on it, we had a, a drawbridge, we had all these things. And people were trained to come and go through that entrance. Now my castle really isn't a castle, right? There are no walls, there's sure. 70, doors in it, there's a hundred different ways, and I have to protect, my job hasn't changed. I have to protect the, um, you know, the asset of the castle and our uh, content, our infrastructure, our data, we, you know, we're responsible for all that, but I have to make it easy, first of all, transparent to my customers. They can come and go and, you know, make it easy. If it's not easy, they leave. They, they leave. And I've got to make it secure. And how do I balance all of that where you have ease of use, ease of access, and it's secure? It, right? it's, it's not either it, or. No, it's, it's not. And it's, it, the, some of the challenges are, you know, even when you say, I'm going to go authenticate, I'm going to go to, you know, a product like Okta. It's right. on the cloud. Right. It sits on AWS. Right. So you say, my authentication system, my single sign-on, sits on the cloud. And then my ERP system or my financial system is sitting on another cloud. It's right. like, you know, I might have like SAP or Oracle, right. NetSuite, those things. They're all sitting on cloud infrastructures as well. The CRM, Salesforce is sitting right. in the cloud also. Right. So everything, it's not one cloud, it's multiple clouds. Right. I still have a few proprietary systems that I, that I use, uh, but it's we have like an explosion of clouds and everything has to authenticate. Right. And so I think the questions around um, you know, not to get too technical, but you know, certificates, uh, certificate management, uh, right. you know, TLS, SSH, all, all those things. Right. It, it just, it becomes uh, a chore in and of itself. Problems that we didn't know we had or would have 10 years ago are here with us and we're just starting to grapple with them of saying, how do I keep all of this interconnected and secure when I don't have a castle anymore, I'm just in the village. I'm right. literally in the village with everybody right. else. Right, in the middle of the prairie. That's Let right. me ask you this real quick. I know we don't have much time left, but I'm curious about um, when you think about that, it's kind of, I have a lot of conversations with people around artificial intelligence, machine learning, and just the other day I interviewed a guy named Martin Ford. Martin's been on, he, he just spoke with uh, presidential candidate Andrew Yang. He's oh. been on a number of big podcasts. He's written a, a number of books. The two that I'm familiar with is Rise of the Robots and Rule of the Robots. And in particular, his conversation is around how these technologies, not robots specifically, but how this technology, decision-making um, in very narrow but very specific ways is going to just disrupt everything. And as you're describing, I've got to manage all of these systems, all these disparate clouds, all of this certification. My um, my charter hasn't changed. Right. Just how I go about the complexities of doing it. Is there, do you see a future of, or are you guys using something like artificial intelligence yet to to come into this to help you manage it? Yes, yes we are. Uh, part of what we're seeing is it, it used to be that uh, one employee 
could or one master controller could monitor so many feeds on on, on how a cool would screen. that be if you had a name tag that said master controller yeah. i'd wear it home uh, yeah I'd... where my wife who is half japanese half irish would rip it off my chest and throw it but on the way home i would have my chest out right. saying i'm the you, master you're the master controller, control. master control. Yeah, and, right. and these uh these people they get paid to watch television but they get paid to watch television very carefully right, but the okay. reason they can do it is because AI and machine learning is making it so that common issues are identified by an artificial intelligence mm. that says that wrong content's playing or that just went to black, it needs to flip to the backup so that you can so so you don't lose airtime. Right. In our business, you know, outages are measured in seconds. So right. you have you have a black to air for, for a second or a couple of seconds, right. you start losing money and right. and customers start saying why is right. my program not playing? What, right. What's going on? Or right. and, and somebody who said I paid for a certain commercial to air, you aired it three times, not four times. I want some money back. I want a credit on that. Mm. So those are the those are the challenges that, that we're seeing. AI machine learning is kind of the path forward that allows some of our very critical employees, like master controllers, who who look at these things to mine a lot more and i think my uh an old an old mentor of mine he's the cto of accenture wrote a book human plus machine mm -hmm. uh, about uh, uh you know about artificial intelligence and how it, humans it's it's really a melding of human plus machine the the empowering of of more people or people to do more and being able to do more so it, right. um i think that's that's one of the areas that, that we are looking at we experiment heavily with ai and machine learning mm -hmm. so that uh, we can get economies of scale. Part of the reason that we do what we do is because we can do it better and cheaper and faster. That's what everybody. That's what everybody's trying to do, right? right? So yeah, they are and and safe, right? And safe and safe, safe and secure. And safe. And secure. This is very to, important. You don't get to lose the original charter of how I'm protecting this and how I'm making it available. Um, you've just been given this additional burden of it's got to be easy. I, people don't want to hear about authenticate. They don't want to hear about any no, of that they stuff. Don't they just want to take stuff. their device, push the button. And now I'm following Tiger or you, you know Lewis Hamilton right. or yeah, well, you know, Hamilton loved Ricky Formula Wysocki, One. my yeah, favorite no, disc golfer, whoever you. it is, you know, doing their thing, and I can tune into it. We see this, um, you know, in uh, my kids follow these different uh, people in Twitch and these other platforms oh, yes. for gaming, and I, you know, Joe, we did the wrong thing because these kids are making a lot of money. Um, but my point is, is just that they. The world today, even me, not just my children who are much younger than me, my, uh, we want easy, I want it quick. I expect it to be available at the soccer field. I expect it to be available here at the clubhouse, not just my living room. Oh, if and you're I on vacation, where, where on you, vacation. you want to take it with you. Yeah. And, and security is a given. It's kind of like uh, Wheel of Fortune. They always give you R and S, T, L, and E. Right. It's like, Security is one of those. It's right. like it, it, it's just assumed that it's going to be there and that it's going to work and right. go figure out the complexities, even though the industry is in the midst of right. multiple disruptions right. and multiple transformations. You have to figure out how to do that with the talent that's available. We have to rely on universities producing the right kinds of people, right. the right kinds of experience to bring them to us right. so that so that uh, they can solve those problems that, uh, you know, we truly haven't even thought about yet. Right. Um, well, look, we are—we could talk about this for another hour. Oh yes, we are absolutely. Easily at um, at our time limit. Uh, I would love to invite you to come on our show oh, and let's finish this conversation absolutely. and let's go into town. There are a number of other areas we want to go to, but uh, it'd be thanks. my pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Thank today. you for having me. My great pleasure.
Hey, everybody. We'll see you next time on the QTS Experience. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Here we go. Three, two, one. Elizabeth, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much. It's great to see you again. Great to see you. So last time I saw you, um, was it pre-pandemic? It was. I think it was pre-pandemic, which sounds weird. Yeah. And um, you were in one industry. You're still a CIO and in that role, but you're in a new industry. So what's Correct. changed? Uh, 10 months ago, I joined a company called One Inc. Mm. And we develop payment products exclusively for the insurance industry. Oh, that sounds easy. Yeah. And we are digitizing uh, the way that insurance carriers receive payments and pay claims. It's similar to banking, but I think they're technologically maybe a step behind. And we're trying to leapfrog them forward. I'm trying to think of two industries that are more resistant to digit. They all know it. I don't mean that they're technology leaders, especially leaders now that are coming into it. But I, I just don't know very many. I can't think off the top of my head of two organizations that are very similar that are more resistant to digital change. So I don't, and I mean, we all want it. I want it on my device and I want it to be secure and have access and whatever, but... Uh, uh, well, I think luckily for the insurance industry, claimants, consumers, uh -huh. and vendors, you know, the collision centers and the right. body shops, they want their money faster. Right. And so they are really helping us to, we're pushing their pulling right. uh, the industry forward right. into faster payments. Um, you know, the check process takes a couple of weeks sometimes. And if right. you can imagine some disaster hitting your town, your car's destroyed, your home's destroyed, right. you can't get a check in your mailbox. Right. So we have to have alternative ways to get people the money they need. And we right. need to get it to them quickly because they need to start paying for groceries and hotel right. rooms. And they may even need to move out of state. Right. So it's really, we're, we are trying to be very consumer centric mm -hmm. in our focus. Um, and the consumer sometimes is a, a regular person who pays their homeowner's insurance and then has something terrible happen. Right. And then the other, the other persona is, you know, kind of the vendor. Right. Um, agents in the field that are, that are going out and assessing the value of a claim. You know, that's, that's one of our kind of customers. Right. And then, of course, the insurance carriers themselves trying to with, – with our payment products, we – almost eliminate, if not fully eliminate, any PCI requirements that they right. might have because the data doesn't traverse the two systems. Right. We, we sort of seg segregate that information, bank accounts, credit cards, right. et cetera, so that they don't have to deal with any of that, which is a big benefit to them I as gotta well. I got to believe if I'm a consumer, the sooner I can get you the information, accurate information. I had, this isn't the same thing, but I just, I just had this amazing experience. We ordered some uh, furniture for our house. And it was shipped to us instead of uh, we ordered it online. Normally we go and we've got to touch it. And I mean, this is our first really significant purchase. And we ordered two pieces, happened to be these big heavy dressers, <clears throat> chest of drawers. One came in perfect, flawless, no big deal. And the other was less than perfect and flawless. It looked like it had been hit by a semi truck. Mm -hmm. the, and what this um, organization said was, well, show us what happened. Just take your phone and just show us easily. No, not very complex. And we walk through and just kind of edited as we went. Well, here's what we saw and here's the packaging and this and whatever. And within just a few minutes, they said, okay, we got it. Upload it. New one's on the way. And here's what we're going to do with the other one. And I, I recognize that may not be everybody's experience, but just 
in a, in a loosely related way, the ability to capture, here's what I mean, here's what I think the right resolution is, what do you think, quickly, easily, it was, you know, I couldn't believe, now I'm happy because it's a resolution that I wanted, but still that here's what we, nobody, adjuster didn't have to come, all these other things. I was like, I, in this case, I love technology. I'm not thinking about the adjuster I just put out of business. Yeah. I loved my mobile device, but that was fantastic. Yeah. Frictionless, like, frictionless customer experience. Yeah. That's what we want. At the same time, though, I don't want fraud. That sounds weird, but I want my insurance rates to stay low. Mm -hmm. So I want, I don't want fraud. I want it to be authenticated. And I also don't want you to share it. I don't want people looking beyond those pictures at my backyard or whatever, where I'm taking the pictures. Um, I thought it was pretty amazing. And as cool as this conversation is, I want to steer you to something else because I want to tease this out when I get you on my into my studio for a longer conversation because <laughs> I'm fascinated with that and how technology is continuing to evolve, disrupt, compromise, and help that space. But you shared something with me before we came on the air that really blew my mind. So as part of your job, you have teams around the, the world. world. Yep. And that means that some of them might be exposed to some of the geopolitics and some of the disruption that's going on, not just because they have a job to do, but they're real people in some of these environments. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on there? Yeah. Uh, so our, uh, our the CTO and founder of One Inc. on the technology side is from Eastern Europe. Okay. And so the engineering talent has its origins there. Hmm. And we have a pretty we had a pretty significant footprint in Eastern Europe. And it was one of the things, one of my uh, strategic objectives when I joined the company as the CIO is to diversify our geographies and our resources mm -hmm. and, you know, always kind of looking at how to mitigate risks. Mm -hmm. And so we had a good plan for how we were going to start to do that. We had started to really campaign to encourage people to move into our time zone, which is one of our biggest challenges when you've got people on the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to work together, right. um, even with technology. Time zones you know, make it really challenging. And so we already had a good program in place and we were campaigning and marketing, you know, how great move to Mexico, have a new experience, be closer right. to, you know, the headquarters and be able right. to work directly with us. And then the conflict in, U in uh, Ukraine right. uh, ensued and we had to make a very difficult decision very quickly. And that was to close our offices in the region mm -hmm. because of the risk mm -hmm. and because of our concern for our people there. Mm -hmm. And we started aggressively, assertively campaigning, right. convincing them to relocate mm -hmm. to our Mexico office. Um, we unbudgeted, unplanned, and I am was amazed at the support of the entire executive team, the whole company around creating a travel group to help people book airlines, mm -hmm. uh, find ways out of you know the, the area, the region, right. um, to try to get them into a safe, secure place, you know, not only to preserve my engineering group mm -hmm. and our ability to support our customers, but also to to really focus on them as human beings right. in a really difficult situation that they have absolutely no control over and no influence over. Right. And we've been really fortunate uh, through a lot of hard work and a lot of sleepless nights uh, that we've been able to, to get you know about half of those folks um, 
you know, into a safer, more secure area. And they hit the ground running and they're continuing to do great engineering work. And I'm very proud of them. And I appreciate it's not lost on me that they they kind of put their trust in us to move them halfway around the world, including their spouses and families in many cases. And and they did it. And we we hope that we continue to to deliver on our promises to them to take good care of them and provide them with great opportunities to learn and, and do excellent work for us. That's how you change the world. <laughs> I, I'm I'm trying not to get super emotional. It reminds me of um, I, I don't know how you can. Somebody said something that resonated with me a few weeks ago, <clears throat> continuing a theme, and it was in the '80s. Somehow it got changed. This was the assertion on what's the purpose of business, and it was shareholder return, shareholder profit. And this person was like, "Look, I'm claiming that back. I don't." Th- companies have to be profitable in the same way that a human being has to uh, breathe, drink water, <clears throat> eat maybe less uh, than, than they need to. Um, but, uh, but, but you have to consume those things, but that's not your purpose as a human being. Um, you have a, you know, your purpose is something else. Um, but, but those are requirements. And for a company, I believe there is, I see more and more and more an emphasis on what's our purpose. Our purpose is, is not just our purpose is not turning a profit although we have to be profitable it's table stakes it's table stakes right you cannot remain um in business if you're not but what are we about and when people Mm -hmm. fall in love steve jobs whatever else his flaws were was really pretty good at what we believe what we're about who Mm -hmm. we are and then it it flows down into the technology or to the service or the whatever and I think when you get it right, when an organization gets it right, it really is how you change the world for good. Not to be melodramatic right. about this, but right. I, I genuinely believe it. And we as people, one of the uh, types of guests that we get on here, I'm fascinated with this idea of gratitude, happiness, joy, not in sort of a lip service loose mm-hmm. way. There's negative side of that when we get caught up with technology that can impact it negatively. Um, but I just met a cancer survivor and he and his wife were about to get on a sailboat and go sailing. And I was talking to him about, he's in his mid sixties, really dynamic guy. And I was like, what, Matt, what's going on? He said, well, I went through this experience, but I discovered through it, uh, gratitude. I thought I knew what gratitude was, mm-hmm. but I really discovered gratitude, not uh, temporary emotional happiness, which can wax and wane depending upon the moment, but like this deep set, deep seated gratitude and joy and gratefulness. And how also can I share it? And in a way, your story reminds me of, man, how do I get grateful for the things that I have and how do I help other people and change at least for those few people change their life forever? Yeah. Well, we, um, when we first started really talking about, you know, moving massive amounts of our of our resources into other locations, we were on the phone at you know two one two in the morning with right. with the teams in Europe, you know, really just sort of talking to them, answering questions, trying to be present, assuage their fears right. and concerns, and our country manager um, for our offices there. He and I would meet every single morning after we would meet with the rest of the executive team and we'd kind of debrief and, and talk about things. And, and he and I, over the last 10 months, you know, re- our relationship really grew into a friendship. Right. Um, I have so much admiration and respect for him. And there were several of those conversations we were having talking about the situation and, 
you know, personally on, you know, the personal aspects of it locally, not to mention the business aspects. And and there were several calls where we were both, you know, moved to tears. Um, I have so much, and he stayed behind. Mm. He stayed behind. He wasn't ready to relocate out of, out of the area, but he stayed behind to close the offices, wipe the equipment, Mm. get all the payroll taken care of, take care of the taxes, Mm. you know, just to make sure, you know, and he's, he's been with the company for, you know, many, many years Mm. and his commitment to doing it right, even at the very end was remarkable. And I have a tremendous amount of, of empathy and Mm -hmm. gratitude. And, um, I mean, I hope he and I stay connected forever. He's a wonderful human being and, really put his put all the people first and put our company first. Right. And um, I heard this from from another organization who is, was in a similar situation. Um, if you take care of the people, the people will take care of you. Yeah. And I don't think there's a better example of this. One of one of the things that we did like day 1 when we made the decision that due to that conflict and the and the crisis that was occurring, we had to take some immediate action was we implemented the you know, smoking hole BCP plan, the mm. the the one that you never think you're going to have to do. Right. Like, what happens if we have to shut down a whole office? What right. happens if we lose an entire office? Right. And within literally f- probably less than 48 hours, my whole organization rallied and said, "What is what? What do we need to make sure that our systems are up? They're monitored. They're safe." Our customers are being serviced. We can take care of, you know, any defects that might occur, right. and we can start keep things running. Right. And they all pulled together, and we got that nailed first. Right. And so when we knew we were one hundred percent safe, we knew we could take care of our customers and our products and our systems. Then we pivoted to okay, let's focus on our people, and it was uh, it was a remarkable two months and we're still doing it. We still have people, you know, moving and, mm-hmm. and relocating and we'll continue to support them for as long as it takes to get us any or all of them right. uh, that want to, that want to stay with the company and want to move to a new location. And other places in Europe are absolutely fine. Um, mm. They just need to be safe. Right. You need to have secure internet. Um, right. And we need to be able to pay them. Right. So we had a number of folks that we helped, um, they relocated to because they had family in the area, whether it was Poland, Spain, mm-hmm. some other areas, yep. a lot of countries embraced them. What I love to see, because you see, hear so many stories of what we're against, whether it's a political thing or um, a people thing, a human thing, whatever it is, this is what we're against and here's mm-hmm. how we're going to cancel or that's what we're not, instead of what are we for? Right. And we're not checking your politics. We're not checking your whatever. What we're checking is how do I go deep with a few human beings? I may not be able to do everything for everybody, but for this group, I can do a lot. And um, I love that story. Thank you. Well, I would keep you here forever, but we've got stuff to do. This is an amazing story. I loved our last conversation. Um, hopefully I can get you on the show in the near future to talk, finish this story, um, well, the teaser for our audience and more. I, I cannot wait to hear separate from this, the story of 
oh, by the way, your new CEO of this mature startup, if you described it, we have a global crisis in addition to coming out of a global pandemic that we're still dealing with. And by the way, we're trying to do these things in an industry that is uh, challenging to say the least. And you got to do it perfectly and securely. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds Rock like it'd be on. great. Rock on. <laughs> Sounds like it'd be a great conversation. Absolutely. Elizabeth, thank you. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. All right. And we'll see you guys next time on the QTS Experience. Please like, share, subscribe, and comment. Take care.